Property Matters here on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iPropertyRadio or indeed email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon, and I'm delighted to be joined by Sean Murphy, founder and personal loan advisor at Simpler.ie. Sean, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Sean, Simpler.ie. What is Simpler.ie? Yeah, so we're uh, we're an online mortgage broker. So we set up back in uh, September 2018. So we've been around for a while. So basically, we're a, we're an online mortgage application process, uh, kind of aimed towards kind of first time buyers. So the idea is that we've created a kind of a nice kind of online mortgage application that you can use, you know, on your phone, on the website, whatever. And then we follow that up with a, you know a good service and you know independent. Honest mortgage advice. I mean, that's that's basically it. Okay. Well, obviously, on the show here, we're huge advocates of automating all parts of the of the uh, property process, including mortgage and conveyancing. Um, but in terms of mortgage applications, because there's just so much paperwork involved, you know, how have consumers um, how have they embraced online applications? We we done a ton of work on this. Maybe maybe two years ago, we kind of had a look at kind of the paper applications that the bank were kind of sending out to everyone. And we kind of spend a lot of time, you know, we got kind of people with copyright experience to kind of look at it and kind of put that into kind of more personable language and just kind of just kind of talk to them like a person. I mean, you're on, when you're online, it's a different environment. If I walk into a bank, I'm kind of expecting kind of a formal, you know, application process, whereas I'm talking to someone online, you know, what's your name? What are you doing? How much do you want to borrow? That type of stuff. It's kind of it's just phrasing of the questions. Um, it's different. Um, so we do we do quite well. I mean, we, a lot of people who start our applications. I think I think it was we've I was just trying, we'd like excellent stats on people starting and then finishing a mortgage application. Um, and once you've done that part, I mean, it's just it's just getting on the phone to them or getting on email and just following on from there. I guess. But uh, yeah. We, we, do you think do you think trust, you know, I, I can remember we were having these kind of conversations maybe 10 years ago as to what could go online and what couldn't. And trust is such a huge thing online. It's it's one of the most difficult things when you're building out a digital offering, particularly one around something that's important as giving all of your information and your your private data, everything about your financial situation. Um, you know, trust is such a huge element, you know, in terms of your communications and marketing out to consumers, how are you, how are you instilling that trust? And I know the internet has moved on obviously over the past decade, but trust is still an important feature. Yeah, I remember, I think it was the first weekend we launched, we had about five different emails just coming in saying kind of, is this a scam? Um and we've done a few things. I mean, we added like chatbots to the website. We put a few of the bank logos. We have agency went up there. And uh, I, I don't know, I don't know what, what changed, but I don't think we got a single person asking if we were a scam after that. But um, it, it's obviously more than that. I suppose what we've kind of changed, we've been at this for a while now. We've been doing it for almost, almost three years. So, so we've gotten pretty good at it. And um, so I suppose the key thing is we, we kind of like to use the phone more than we did at the start. So generally, you kind of 
obviously with their permission, give them a call once they put in their application, kind of introduce yourself, you know, chat, you know, and basically try and give a good impression as you can in 15 minutes, connect with them on LinkedIn, just let them know you're a real person and, you know, you exist. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the challenge, really. But, but people are buying into it because, I mean, everyone's online now because of COVID, so it's, 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 it's how it's going to work. Yeah, it, look, it, it's been an interesting year or, or, you know, 11 months. I mean, are you noticing anything in terms of trends? Um, and by that, I mean, you know, we've seen in the UK and Ireland that um, house hunting applications, um, people viewing properties online, maybe outside of their own areas. You know, there, there's definitely increasing demand. And I'm not sure if that demand is necessarily going to translate into the market or is it a case that people have more time to indulge in something that has always been a bit of a national pastime that is, you know, looking at property. I mean, how how are your applications faring compared to this time last year? We've got a lot of people with mortgage approval who are kind of desperately trying to find a house is is the major trend. And um, so loads of people with approvals and there's just not enough properties out there for them. And the ones that are out there, you have to do a virtual viewing to, to see them. And there's just, there's just all, and, or they're not built yet because I mean, construction is stalled. So it's just, it's tough at the minute. There's a lot of people who really, really want to buy. They're in situations they don't like and they just, they just can't find something to, uh, to buy. Okay. I, I think that's an interesting one, Sean, because, you know, we hear anecdotally, like we know that, um, mortgage loan approvals are at historically high rates and that's not translating into the mortgage or into the into the marketplace yet and right one conclusion we can draw from that is that you know people aren't able to find the right property but I mean is that necessarily the case like or have we a situation where people are getting loan approval and maybe not being as serious about looking to find a property or maybe not being as committed or worst of all, not being realistic about what's achievable within their area. And, you know, could that could that explain part of this mismatch as well, rather than it simply being that there's there's not enough properties available? I think I think that's always been the case. I think there's always been people who've applied for mortgages and they're not super serious, they're ready to go. But I like you know, if you're sitting at home and you've nothing to do, I mean, most people don't really find filling out a mortgage application, a, a, you know, a, a nice pastime, you know, even, even with a beautiful application process like ours. I mean, there's a lot of paperwork, a lot of things you don't really want to do. So, yeah, there is a bit of that. And there's a bit of people who have kind of unrealistic unrealistic expectations. But, I mean, the thing that's pushing them back is, you know, I would say there's, there's just lack of supply. And, yeah. you know, whether it is there, it's... Can, can tend to be expensive um, because yeah. the other thing I mean, people who are have second properties and stuff like that they're not in the or people who are not first time buyers movers I mean if you're trying to buy a property and you're already in a property you know find them one place and sell the place you're in that's that's a task at the minute it's very hard to kind of the whole process is kind of slowed down from like the bank side of things the bankers are as fast you know, you have to instruct the valuation. The valuers technically aren't out maybe valuing stuff at the minute. I mean, solicitors are slow, brokers are slow. The whole thing, the whole supply chain is just slow. I had someone the other day who's had a problem with uh, getting their life insurance. So a letter had to be sent to the doctor. Do you think the doctor is fast right now? I mean, it's it's yeah. the whole thing is slowed down. 
Yeah, no, it's and it's interesting to to take a look at because look, you're absolutely right. Supply, we have a problem with supply, and you know, new homes aren't coming to to the market as quick as we would like, and obviously, that's likely to be even further impacted this year, and um, with ongoing COVID nineteen, if not necessarily shutdown, then then certainly restrictions. Um, but actually, what we're seeing when we speak to agents is that the sellers or potential sellers of secondhand property seem to be quite slow to put their property on the market. And it occurs to me that they're they're part of the cohort that you've just described there, you know, that the people who would be buyers and might have their mortgages in place, but feel that maybe this isn't the time to put their existing home on the market. Um, is that, are, are you getting, do you get any of that kind of, um, um, information? Do you get that kind of depth of information from your applicants? Sometimes, yeah. But I mean, I was talking to an auctioneer earlier in the week and one of her clients was talking about kind of selling their investment property and she kind of said, you know, if you sell this investment property, you, you could be without rental income for the next six months while I sell that because you have to get the tenants out of the place. So there's a, there's a big, there's definitely a big knock-on effect. From all yeah. Um, you know, and actually, I'm going to I'm going to ask something that's perhaps a bit of an unfair question, as it would be unfair to anybody dealing with mortgages in Ireland. But because the reporting, particularly since the new year, is really highlighting um, Ireland's mortgage interest rates as compared with that uh, right across Europe, and we are consistently the highest. And I know this is a very unfair question to ask, but I mean. What what is what is happening at the moment that is keeping those mortgage rates consistently high? And are consumers starting to ask the question as to why in Ireland we're paying so much more compared to any other European country? This is one of those things um, that often amazes people. So I, I would deal with first-time buyers almost primarily, and their concern it's they're not hugely rate sensitive is, is what I would say. Their first concern is kind of getting in and getting the mortgage and just, they want peace of mind. They want to get into the house. And obviously it's our job to get them the best rates and the best deals. Um, but it's not something that, that would deter someone from buying a house. Now in, in terms of like the rates available at the minute, there seems to be some pressure forcing them down. Um, I mean, it's it's not likely to happen fast. I mean, Advance came into the market last year, obviously, with a, with a rate to kind of undercut everyone else. So they seem willing to move the rates down, but it doesn't seem like it's something that's going to happen overnight, unfortunately. That's, that's really worrying to hear that first-time buyers aren't rate sensitive. You know, and, and unfortunately, I think this is just so symptomatic that we've, of our marketplace here in Ireland, that we've come to expect uh, affordability issues. We've come to expect that things are going to be overpriced in terms of the property transaction. It, you know, it's it, it's really worrying. Actually, it goes. I think it speaks to the financial education, um, the real world financial education. And I say this as somebody who was on the wrong side of that. Um, you know, it's really worrying that people aren't uh, so rate sensitive, particularly with the with the introduction of Avant into the marketplace. Has that created a shift? Because it's created an awful stir media-wise, but in real terms across consumers, has it created much? I, I, I'm rarely asked about Avant. I, I actually don't have agency with Avant yet, but I've maybe been asked two or three times. I mean, it's not something, it's still kind of a high-end kind of a product. There's, there's, there's restrictions in there on LTVs and stuff like that. I mean, I don't think they even do, I don't think they do 90% LTVs. I could be wrong. Um, 
but no, it's it's not something I kind of. It, it certainly hasn't deterred me or, or, or my ability to get clients not having an issue with them. Um, okay, Our, um, your service is that nationwide? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so are you able to give us any kind of insight into trends that you're seeing on a regional basis? Not really, no. Uh, I suppose one thing you're kind of seeing more of is, I suppose we have the working from home thing, obviously. So everyone's everyone's able to work from home and, you know, it's it's great, but it doesn't mean you can get a mortgage. If you're working in Dublin, it doesn't mean you can get a mortgage working in a mortgage in Clare or whatever. Um, so, but there is... There is still people moving out of the city. I suppose it's the or every city, I guess. Um, Are you actually seeing that? Because we've yeah. spoken a lot about this, and we've we've um, we did a whole show dedicated to remote work, where we looked at the trends and tried to see because it's still early days. You know, people are talking about moving outside. You know, they might be there temporarily at the moment, and they're saying, "Hey, this works. We might do this permanently." But are you starting to see this in the mortgage applications? It's 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 a bit of a myth the idea that you can just live everywhere. I think what's happening mostly is that you're having people like for example, I've a I've a client from uh, she's from Monaghan originally, and she's working in Dublin, and she's got the her employer has basically said right after COVID you're only going to have to come in three days a week into the office. So she's kind of saying okay I'll make that drive for an hour and a half three days a week I can do that, and. Um, if I go to a bank and I can say, look, this person is working remotely from Dublin, but they want to buy a carry, the bank will say, well, you know, their employer explicitly needs to say after COVID, they're remote forever. And a lot of employers are not willing to say that because they haven't kind of, they haven't worked it out themselves, obviously. It's still, it's still, it's still a new thing. Um, but I think it's mostly people taking the initiative themselves, saying, look, I only have to go to the office three days a week. So I'm willing to move a bit further out than I normally would. I think that's what's really happened more than anything else. OK, that's a really interesting one. I haven't come across that before. And actually, it's something that hadn't even crossed my mind before, that somebody whose employment was previous, well, whose employment technically is in Dublin, but if they're being given the option to remote work even part time, you know, that, OK, we know that those people are looking in more rural areas and they're willing to, to do the commute. I suppose I hadn't I hadn't followed that thought fully through to the logical conclusion of actually the banks wanting to be sure that the employment is sustainable remotely, albeit part of the time. So what what does an applicant have to provide? Is it a letter from their employer stating an, a, a willingness to allow remote work? Yeah, that's that's exactly it, and that, I mean that was that was in place before COVID. If you could if you could get the employer to, you know, explicitly state this is what's happening, then then yeah, banks banks were okay with that. Okay, that's an interesting and say from the from the start of the new year, and I appreciate we're only just at the start of February now. But what kind of trends are you seeing? Because obviously, last September we might have been more hopeful as to where we would be, you know, in in spring of twenty twenty one. Now that we're here, it's looking, you know, increasingly less hopeful. Um, what kind of trends are you seeing from your buyers at the moment? Uh, their their plans for twenty twenty one. At the minute, I suppose I'm, I'm just seeing people kind of stretching themselves um, as far as they can, kind of financially wise. I've got a lot of people coming in trying to get exceptions, trying to use their bonuses as incomes, trying to use their, you know, their Googlers, they're trying to use their equity grant as income. I mean, everyone's just trying to increase the amount of income they can use to, uh, 
to buy a house. That's 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 kind of what I've been seeing for for the month of January. Now, whether that's the case of everyone knows, there's a few exceptions available in January, and they're kind of flooding to me now. But uh, it just seems that everyone seems to be trying to squeeze every last penny out of their mortgage application at the moment. And how are banks responding to that? Um, you know, if you can put together a solid case, then you know it's it's fine. I mean, they're given exceptions where where they would normally give exceptions. There hasn't really been a huge change in kind of the the lending criteria. They maybe have got a bit stricter, but if it's a good case, you know, typically it's a good case. But yeah, they're probably a bit stricter, but they're still doing things. Okay, is it a good time for people who might be considering? Uh, buying a property this year but maybe think that it's not a good time because they're reading about low levels of supply is this a good time for for first-time buyers particularly to be making this application well i suppose the approval lasts for six months um the big worry for a lot of these people is that they'll apply for a mortgage and they'll get rejected for just some reason they don't know they've never done it before they're first-time buyers you know the the trick is in the name. They don't really know what they're doing most of the time, which is fine. That's 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 why we exist. Um, so yeah, it, it probably is worth having a go. I mean, if you if you're trying to try and buy something in the next six months, yeah, why not? If you're not going to do that, I would make sure that you're ordering stuff from the central credit register, making sure that you've no no things on the credit report that you don't know about and just make sure you're saving enough each month to be able to, to support a mortgage payment or paying rent that would cover a mortgage payment. Um, okay, that's good. That's good advice to end on. So tip, tips for people even thinking of getting prepared, get your credit bureau report. No, make sure not, the not, saving. Not, not the credit bureau, get the other one, the central credit register. It has more on it and it's one everyone's using and there's stuff on it that's not on the ICB that's catching people out. So it's a big... Oh, excellent. What, what's the resource website for that one? Uh, it's the Central Credit Register. I think it's cccr, ccr.ie. Uh, the Central excellent. Credit Register, Google it, you'll find it. Very good. That's great. That was Sean Murphy, Personal Loan Advisor at Simpler.ie. Thank you for being with us today, Sean. We need to take a quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Hello and welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. So I'm now joined by regular guest on the show, Thomas Campbell, Managing Director at TA Group. Uh, Thomas, you're very welcome again. Uh, you reminded me before we came on air that it's actually just over a year since we've spoken to you last. That's right, Carol. Thanks very much for having me back on. Yep. Um, a year uh, and a week to the day. A year and a week. It, it has been an interesting year. It has surely. It has surely. You know, generally when we pick up on conversations uh, with guests, you know, we're following on from the conversations we had last time. There's just no there's just no way this year that that's that that's the, the tone we can adopt. Things have just changed so much. So, look, first of all, just maybe remind listeners, uh, TA Group, what it is that you do. So we're a, um, what we like to call a, a one-stop shop consultancy uh, specialising in architectural, civil structural, fire engineering services, um, pr- predominantly in the social housing sector, dealing with local authorities. Um, so that's our on a consultancy side. We also have a contracting arm that we are actually involved in the retrofit of, of social housing units as well. We, we've just actually kicked off our first project with Tipperary County Council. 
But um, yeah, a one-stop service provider to the residential sector and we can take your project, as we said before, from conception to completion. Very good. Thanks, Thomas. And I know from our previous conversation that despite being based in the west of Ireland, your team actually operates uh, across uh, across all of Ireland. Um, and I know you mentioned the, the, the Tipperary project. Um, how have the last, you know, 10, 10, 11 months of COVID, how, how has that been? How has it impacted your, your company? Um, well, strangely, and I know people sometimes are uncomfortable, say, telling positive stories in the current in climate, but um, COVID in a strange way when it happened last March or April um, ended up being very positive for us um, because I suppose we're a relatively new company. So we were used to working remotely or working from home. So we were able to adapt with fairly quickly. And um, while other more established firms with maybe a, a large headcount were grappling with the whole idea of remote working or, or, or how they actually manage their staff, we didn't have that headache. And we set about very aggressively tendering for new projects. And it just so happened at the time there was projects that fitted our, our scope of works very well. So we, we went after them um, quite aggressively and those projects are now live and uh, it's, it's working very well for us. Um, that that's a good thing to hear. But over the past number of months, we've also heard about you know uh, companies that had successfully tendered and won work that you know came to a crashing halt around COVID. So uh, because a lot of the impact have been around projects that were at pre-commencement stages. So are you working then on on essential projects or or is it? Yes, so the vast majority of our projects are deemed essential service projects um, and the vast majority are social housing projects. Now, some projects, um, say, uh, since since Christmas or since January this year, that were just about to start um, on site, the local authority decided to hold back on those for uh, a month or two. But other projects are progressing around site, and obviously us being involved from from conception, from design, yeah. you know, fifty percent of our work is involved in the project before it ever gets to site. So we're we're quite busy on the design side of projects. Luckily enough, like I said, the projects that we went after aggressively last year, um, we're we're only in the design phase of it now, with projects hopefully hitting the ground the second half of twenty twenty one. Very good. In terms of um, the design. Are you seeing any impact uh, on on uh, foot of COVID that is likely to become kind of that's likely to influence the long term design of new housing schemes? Um, well, it's it's funny. I listened back to my uh, interview from last year just to recap, see what what did I actually say, <laughs> and that I wouldn't contradict myself this time around. You're a good uh, one student. Of the, <laughs> one of the items that I, that I mentioned in relation to new builds was or is the ventilation and how important ventilation is and if anyone that follows social media there there people are quite vocal about ventilation and, and how it, how it helps control covid so and that coupled with the new regulations uh, come in, the Partel regulations coming in, mechanical ventilation is now becoming the norm um, in homes, which is a benefit and will help control not only COVID, but just healthier environment in general in properties. And trying to get that across to people was, was quite hard. 
um, where you're trying to promote it, people say, well, I, you know, especially in, say, one-off homes, they say, well, we don't need it. You know, we don't need it to meet the regulations. And we, we're saying, well, yes, by regulations, it's not needed, but it is, it, it's, it's for your health. The house will feel a lot nicer. It's a lot fresher. As you can probably see by this video, directly over my head is a vent in the wall from, from one of the vents. So um, that, I think, may, may, may have um, helped to bring that to the fore. Thomas, I'm really glad that you brought up about that conversation happening on social media because increasingly I try not to because I know that, you know, from the start, we understand there's a credibility issue, you know, to a lot of the commentary that's that's being said on social media. But actually around this whole issue, not just around kind of the use of uh, or the changing use of HVAC systems, uh, you know, increasing air exchanges, uh, but, but this issue of ventilation is one that, you know, I hear Pat Kenny on News Talk uh, talking about it quite frequently and his guests are always very quick to bow out and say, I'm not an engineer, you know, and, and but the debate rages online um, about ventilation. Uh, are we doing enough? Uh, you know, and, and there seems to be this argument that if schools keep their windows open, suddenly they're safe. And we know that that's not the reality. So I suppose as somebody who's knowledgeable in this area, how do you... How do you, well, do you ever get involved with these conversations online? Short answer is no. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not the forum. It's not the place for it. But as, as, the, as the concept for ventilation and the importance of it, the, the, the concept is correct. Um, like we would see a lot of people who are retrofitting their homes now and they want ventilation, they want their house warm. And then you, you move the conversation on to ventilation and the first reaction is, well, I'm not putting a, a hole in my wall after spending all this money ventilating it. And you try to explain to them the issues with condensation and mold growth because their house that had drafty windows before now was, was sort of getting around the issue of ventilation. But when you fix those issues, you, you create a problem for ventilation and it's it's trying to fly that to people before it becomes a problem. Do you think in Ireland we've had we've had a, enough of a focus on indoor air quality? No, no, no. It's it's only like I said, this global pan- pandemic has brought it to I suppose the the headlines and brought it into people's um, daily lives. But before that um, trying to explain it to um, people who were either buying a new home or planning to design and build a new home. No, it, it was something they didn't, they didn't, uh, look, maybe we were explaining it incorrectly and they couldn't understand it, but a few people that I brought into my own home in the past and they walk in and it is a comment they do say once they experience it about the mechanical ventilation and heat recovery that the house, while it's warm, it's not stuffy, feels fresh, uh, airy. Um, so, you know, maybe people have to, you know, touch it, see it, smell it to be convinced. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really interested at this point, even though it's quite early days, to see what types of, um, what what kind of impact the pandemic will have on the longer term uh, design elements. But we're constantly watching for how design elements are changing for housing. So, for example, just over the last day or two, I was reading about how, um uh, in terms of the traditional letterboxes we're used to, we're going to have to maybe get used to drone deliveries uh, when we're not in the house. You know, are we talking about, you know, something quite futuristic openings on the roof? You know, design changes as our lives change. So I, I suppose really the question I'm asking is, do you think the pandemic is going to have long-term impacts on how people live? 
that's going to need to be reflected in our, their homes. I know, absolutely, on on so many different levels. Um, be it be it say say take house design as a general statement. It's it's how the house functions, how people use their homes. Um, when I was on with you last year, we were talking about three bed semi detached houses in Kelchma. They're now redesigned to be four beds because the, the fourth bed will probably be an office. Remote working, working from home now is going to be the norm and people are going to demand that. Um, their, your homes are going to have to be uh, a, a much more pleasant place to be in, which they should have been from day one. But more certainly now, if people are living at home and working from home, they're going to have to be um, a, v- a very pleasant place to be. I have to ask, Thomas, in Mayo, is remote working, is this feeling like a win for Mayo? Because I know there's so many rural areas in Ireland that stand uh, to, to benefit from remote working. But Mayo seems to have just picked up the ball and run with it, you know, right through to the work with the Western Development Commission uh, through the organisation Grow Remote. Um, you know, there's there's so many uh, initiatives that I'm seeing and a lot of them seem to be coming either from or two male. Mayo, yeah. I know if in fairness, the, the the people behind those various organizations, you know, they've been banging the drum for years, um, trying to promote Mayo as a as a alternative, I suppose, to the East Coast. And the, the big problem was like say the, the location was perfect, accommodation issues were not as acute as say along the eastern seaboard. The issue was always about job secure job first of all and then job security. But as we all realize now, the genie certainly out of the bottle on that one and working remotely or working from home now is, is, is a lot more acceptable. And I think employers in general, um, if they don't allow that or offer that flexibility, p- people will, will move to an organization where they can have that flexibility. Now, within reason, obviously, there's some certain jobs you have to do, have to be office based or you have to be in a particular location. But for the vast majority, people can work remotely and work from home. Now, a caveat that... I think working from home all the time is not a positive. I think as we've all discovered, if you're if you're looking at the same four walls all the, all week long, it's not the best either. And I think a, a happy medium or happy balance, if someone can strike that, is probably the ideal situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you'd, you'd hear people, organisations, talk about well, how do you instill the, the culture of an organisation, especially with new employees, and that's why a core office or core office space will will still be required but um, there'll be a lot more flexibility with um, the general numbers. I have to say I'm very critical when people uh, bring the talk about culture uh, to the office fit out so to me that's you know those very trendy uh, office fit outs that we see you know trendy armchairs um, you know beanbags things like that and to me if your culture the culture of your organisation depends on how funky your fit out is I think you're probably failing at culture you know I, I, there's so much more to it um, yeah. and I think it's much it's so it, it's part of a larger conversation but at some point somewhere we lost sight of quality of life you know uh, yeah. connection with nature be, uh, having access to outdoor space um, and I think that that's something that I'm I'm hearing uh, I, I'm I'm and I've experienced myself during the lockdown I think um space access to outdoor space has never been more important and i actually don't think it's necessary you know it's great to have the luxury of a garden but that doesn't that isn't necessarily um the main thing it has to be access to somewhere that's you know within a nice walking area yeah. again 
our 5K, suddenly we've all become a lot more critical of our 5K. And I suspect that, that there are people, you know, in, in Mayo appreciating their 5K a lot more than maybe people in, in uh, suburbia. And that's yeah, going to have an impact. It is. Like, oh, I, there, I have friends that have, have lived the, the best part of 10, 15 years in along the East Coast and were quite happy until the pandemic hit. And then all of a sudden they, they said, actually, no, we, we we want our space. We want to be able to walk, walk in a, a garden or to a local park. And um, that has driven um, a, a large demand, as you can see in, in the media, for properties, I suppose, on, on the Western seaboard. Yeah, you, your firm, uh, TA Group, has a good oversight on this because you have the consulting arm, uh, but also the contracting arm. So... How are things going on the contracting arm? Um, because I'm quite sure that the plans have changed. But for 2021, you know, what, what's the ambition for the contracting arm? So we, we're, I suppose we're very particular on the projects we would take on, on in the contracting arm because it's it, it's just naturally more, 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 more risk associated with it. So we're very particular about the clients we take on and very particular about the projects we take on. So I suppose we were having this conversation 12 months ago and we were talking about launching this new development in, in Kelchima, uh, uh, 14 units, a mixture of three bed and four slash five bed detached units. Um, that's still the goal. It, it was reset by, by uh, 12 months. But a few things that we've learned in that time is we were really struggling and even the funding agencies that we were speaking to uh, really struggling to find a benchmark and find a, um, a comparable, like I said, we're close to Casabar and Westport, but they're, they're not comparable because they're larger urban areas. Um, anecdotal evidence we've had in the exchange of properties in the second-hand market in the last six months, I think prices have jumped, uh, from all, all right, be it from a low base, they've jumped 30 or 40,000 euros a unit um, of an is increase. That, is that in and around Kilchamoff? Yeah, yeah. But is that is that based on sluggish um, sluggish supply of second-hand market? You know, and I, I'm not familiar with the market in in uh, Kilchamop, but what we're seeing in other kind of comparable areas around the country is that people are very slow um, to bring their properties to the market. So the second-hand market is just so sluggish in terms of new supply. Well, would I say that people are slow bringing their properties, second-hand properties, sluggish bring them to the market because they have nothing to move on to themselves? You know, would a caveat with that? Is that the reason um, that you may have found? Um, possibly, possibly. Or it may be a case that they just think, you know, there isn't a lot happening in the marketplace and during COVID. And yet we know that actually the very opposite is true. Estate agents are reporting record demand. Exactly. So again, so when COVID hit, of course, we we paused um, that aspect and we said, right, we're going to have to sit on this because we, we didn't, I think everyone thought, okay, are we back into another economic crisis? And it turns out the opposite has happened. Um, I think people who were already in the market to buy a new home were lucky enough to maintain their jobs and are, are probably even in a better position now to purchase a home because they've been able to save over the past year and, and maintain their job. I think it is also, so I suppose before COVID, everyone was talking about Brexit. Is Brexit going to be the, the issue that's going to pull back house prices? Because certainly in in the west of Ireland, they were saying house prices had, had had got too high. Now, they hadn't. It was just that they had got back to, say, 2007 prices, which inflation alone would have brought them to that market. So everyone was waiting for something to correct 
and it wasn't Brexit and it hasn't been a global pandemic. And I think the market now realizes, well, the houses that are for sale or the asking prices that are, are being proposed for new houses, that is the that is the market and that's what is is required to make them viable. Um I think that's that that's a fair assessment because one of the things that we've seen is a recurring theme. Uh, you know, we, we're just starting into our third year of broadcasting, and one recurring theme is that you know when we talk about the recovery, we need to be very mindful that the recovery uh, from from the crash didn't, you know, was never nationwide. Um, yeah. And there were pockets of the country, and not necessarily on the west coast. There's pockets of the Midlands, and actually there's pockets um, in the east, and particularly in the southeast, that recovery just didn't happen. Um, at a pace the, the way it did across the rest of the country and it's maybe something that that perhaps this pandemic is go, is going to be a stabilizer for regional markets um but i think with the introduction and the rollout of remote work there's definitely an opportunity there that maybe hasn't been there for the past number of decades and i think it's a really exciting one absolutely i think it, it, it we should all try and take positives out, out of out of everything and i think the pandemic has certainly done that. It has certainly, I think, rebalanced um, or had given the opportunity to, to rebalance the country in terms of where, where people are settling. And I think it has put a pause on so many things for the last year that once everyone is vaccinated and the economy in general opens back back, back up, I think the economy will, will go through a large um, growth period because I think there's just a, such a pent-up demand. And I'm not just talking about property, I'm talking about all aspects of the economy. People want to go on holidays. People want to go for dinner. I think um, the end of 2021, hopefully in 2022, the economy could go through a great um, growth period. Well, the, the Taoiseach seems to agree with you and so does Michael O'Leary. So you're you're a good company good there. Company. <laughs> that, that was Thomas Campbell, Managing Director at TA Group. Thanks again for joining us, Thomas. We need to Thank take you. a quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. I'm now joined by Ian Thompson, co-founder and Ikina Nueke, now from Office App. So, uh, I well, we'll start with you, Ikina. You're head of sales for UK and Ireland. So tell us a little bit about Office App. Well, first of all, thank you, Carol, for inviting us on your show. You're very welcome. In a nutshell, OfficeApp, we are the world's number one integrations platform uh, with a key focus around tenant experience uh, within the commercial real estate office environment. So quite simply, what we do from from our inception, and uh, I think we'd like to make sure that one of the key distinctions from Day Dot is what we do really well as a USP is we combine both the integration side of things, which is all the different technology partners that potentially would uh, have an office building and put lots of different things like whether it's sensors and so on. We can integrate with all those great technology partners. And on the other side, we've got a really great team, a really strong at uh, enhancing and ensuring that we've got a great uh, tenant experience. And we, we what we do best, um, probably the best within the sector we serve is bringing both those two things together. Okay, well, let's let's talk specifically, you know, about some buildings. So you're head of sales for UK and Ireland. Um, so are you operational in any buildings in Ireland to date? Not yet, which, Not is, yet. Okay. which is which is probably the exact reason why we've come on to your great show. So I came on board, God, over a year ago now, it seems like 10, <laughs> with everything that's, that's gone on. That startup world, it's that's like dog years. Exactly that. Yeah. Um, 
And it's been a great ride, Carol. You know, we've we've secured some fantastic names. Uh, if I can throw some in, Blackstone, yeah. one of the largest. Can you talk to us. Talk to us about some of the, the buildings that you're in in the UK. Absolutely, yeah. So you know, we we secured Blackstone, one of the largest uh, uh, dominant landlords globally. And the first particular campus we took on was a was a was gigantic. Well, it's a 1.8 million square foot, 10,000 guests. Uh, we we won it from uh, one of the other competitors in, in the space, which really uh, solidifies our, our our standing in the marketplaces because they already knew what they 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 already knew the marketplace and they knew what they wanted because they were had that service from a competitor. We came in and we've now got them as one of our key clients and having a, a more in-depth discussion around other things. And one of the main things they came to us around was around the guest experience side. You know, what we normally see is clients come to us for a number of reasons, whether it's um, operational efficiency, whether it's looking uh, for something around ESG and that's around environmental, social governance, uh, sustainability in essence, uh, or, or it's looking to elevate their tenant experience within the building or the campus, or lastly, around cost reduction, one of those kind of pillars. And then we kind of um, put a solution around that will actually serve to that. Very good. And Ian, you're the co-founder here. So what was what was the driving force behind Office App? Were you involved in the industry previously? It, um, yeah, good, good question there, uh, 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 Carol. And so uh, I wasn't. And really, for a long time, we we built uh, our, our business on on how funny that may seem, not understanding the real estate and not wanting wanting to understand uh, the real estate, and and not only thinking about location, not only thinking of, of making money work, but really thinking about the end user. How do do you, uh, I can, uh, you, me, really want to start uh, being appreciated in the workplace and workspace? And, and and bringing that kind of information to the forefront. So, as as I kind of said, it's um, it, we really bring that data aspect uh, of 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 not only showing what's happening in meeting rooms, uh, parking spaces, u- general usage ac- uh, access control, but also the experience side of that as well. So, really getting moods. Um, uh, into the data aspect to, to not only know what is happening, but also if you feel that's the right way that it's happening as an end user. Okay. You know, I'm always really interested when, you know, in the early days of, of PropTech, we saw a lot of the innovation was consumer-led, you know, people yes. identifying problems and then designing solutions. We don't see it as much in the in the kind of B2B marketplace here. So what what was your background that that I suppose helped you identify these as issues for real estate. Yeah, yes. Uh, so, so there, my my uh, other uh, my co-founder Tice, he uh, was working on a project for a, a big company called Philips, uh, uh, the the lighting a big lighting company in the Netherlands, and there uh, to, to really make uh, ends meet because we we both have a, a a startup background, but to make ends meet, he was he was doing a project there where he actually had to connect different aspects of what uh, of software and hardware they're already working with. Uh, and this is so normal in and and, and the, the insight there really was it's normal that in our consumer lives we have everything connected to one platform. It's easy to use uh, and and uh, therefore we use it. 
And in the in the office space, it's not the case. Everything's different. You have a room booking for uh, app for for one thing. You have a a, a community element uh, that you can use on uh, on your laptop. Uh, you have to email someone if you want to get catering, uh, and so on and so on. So that's really what we, what we thought that this doesn't make sense, and and this will change. So we, that our core in that thinking is bringing all these integrated services and and hardware onto one. Uh, one platform, but then very quickly already saw that being able to do that, which is more the B2B thinking is is one aspect, but then bringing that B2C uh, thinking in there of making sure that when we've done it, it's actually used a lot, utilized a lot to really make sure that you get that data spin out uh, is, is where the B2C thinking really uh, yeah, r- really comes out. And, and that's why I think we're, we're really starting to distinguish ourselves at the same time in, in making sure that, as, as we call that, the adoption engagement are at very high levels. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's interesting to hear something coming from concept to rollout. But um, having been involved in this ecosystem before, I'm aware of the time and the blood and the sweat and the tears that goes into making that a reality. Because actually, um, the the commercial real estate sector is quite difficult to get a foothold into um, when you're talking about engaging new technologies or um maybe driving efficiencies through existing technologies. So in terms of early clients, you know, how did, you know, Ikina just uh, mentioned there about your, um, you know, one of the the early market traction you got was for a huge premises, you know, 10,000 occup- uh, occupants, I think it was. Yes. You know, how, how as a startup did you convince um, you know, and this is for for both of you, please to join in on how at the startup did you convince the landlord here, the building owner or occupier that you would be capable of delivering this as a startup? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a really good question. Actually, it's quite a, it's quite a funny story. So I think probably before jumping straight into that, it's probably worth mentioning because you mentioned, you know, Ian's, in, Ian's background when he said coming from it from a non-property perspective, I actually came into the company having a, uh, a bit of a, a property perspective, uh, especially from one of the larger landlords. So, you know, our marriage is really came in at the right time. Uh, so when we approached Blackstone, it really was about a couple of things, I guess. Uh, if you remember, we were just going through, or you probably don't remember, but we were just going through the old COVID piece. So we weren't able to engage on the normal basis in terms of uh, presentation face-to-face. Uh, and so actually, we adopted a new methodology in terms of how we would then go to market and be able to, um, via the new technology platforms like Zoom and so on, how we could be able to present to them. And the the, the upshot was, it was about A, being able to deliver on all the aspects from a technical perspective that they were able to, because our platform is second to none. That wasn't the issue. But the thing that really came across was the, the, the fact that we understood how they operated as a business. And we echoed that within our own value chain and also our passion you know um when we get into it when we, when we sign up a client it's the start of a marriage and it's usually you know we have a three to three year term contract so at, at, the, at the start of any marriage there has to be trust there has to be uh, belief and there has to be an acceptance in both sides being able to bring something to the table and when at the end of uh, the presentation piece when we awarded uh, that contract one of the key things they did mention was the fact that you know we absolutely feel that our team can work with you and we feel like it's a partnership and that's exactly what we try and do in any type of account we go into it's a partnership and we always like to say our your success is our success 
Um, and I guess one of the key USPs around that that differentiates us from most uh, of our competitors is the fact that we don't just produce it, put together a solution, fire and forget and walk away. You know, the, 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 that when we, the day one is the start of a three-year term in which we will hopefully land and expand and, and look to get other portfolio opportunities within that. Yeah, I, I like the partnership model. In fact, I think it's one of that that is the route to sustainability for for long term relationships. Uh, but one of the one of the things that that you mentioned there in terms of what has to be there, you know, obviously trust, credibility, expertise. Um, but there's one important element that sometimes can be missing with the traditional real estate sector, and that is they need to value what you're bringing. You know, they need to they need to understand the value and be able to place a value on what your core offering is. Um, so if your core offering is essentially uh, well, uh, um, primarily convenience as well, because you're bringing together um, and integrating a lot of uh, disparate or, or isolated technologies, you know, are you finding that the traditional real estate sector really understands how to put a value on that? That's a really good question. So it's when we talk about ROI and we get asked it quite a lot, you know, how do we, you know, how can I, from an asset manager's perspective, we get this, uh, how can I quantify your ROI? There are a number of different conversation pieces we can look at. Um, you mentioned there, you know, the fact that we are a more, uh, we're presenting operational efficiency. So just in terms of time and motion, there's a, there's a, there's a cost saving there, but also the more intangible things like when it comes to, and there's lots of different projects, you know, for example, we assigned a really great operator, um, a developer that's called a middle cap and they're uh, launching a new building in Southwark. And um, this building was, um, uh, we came in with a partner with technical, um, with uh, one of our uh, technical solution uh, providers, B-Grid, to provide our solution. And one of the things that we were told that when it comes to the leasing journey, that potentially reduces because it's a USP in terms of the building that stands out from others uh, within that market. Also, when it comes to the, the, the period of churn, so when it comes to maybe when the client has to renew, um, there may be an easier conversation for that client to stay in situ. All of these things, unfortunately, you know, we have to be in an account and be uh, with, with them for a number of years to be able to show those numbers. But these are the kinds of conversations we have. So from the start of the contract, even prior to the contract signing, the ROI, which can calculate from time and motion, to maybe two, three years on, when you can see the client's value, your tenants value the services we are providing within your campus, within your building. And because of that, they're staying longer, they're paying a higher service charge, and uh, they're using all the different services you're offering within that. Okay, thank you. Thank, sorry, uh, come ahead, Kenna. Uh, kind of thank you for that. And sure. I think you've raised something really important, uh, which Ian, I was going to put to you. Um, and, and that is the future of the office. You know, there's so much being written about at the moment. Uh, you know, the office is dead. You know, long live the office. Where, where are you seeing it from your client's perspective? Yeah, so uh, in that, I, I think that that's extremely topical uh, at the moment, and and where we we seem to be accelerating uh, our business at least now with with the experience is is actually be, be being able to give these insights and ROIs to our customers. So uh, on on the, the the topic of of returning to work, and we just uh, this two weeks ago signed um, a, a customer. Uh, and and I'm sure I, I can I can uh, speak to you. you, go ahead, you go on, go on. That, that has brought us from from 12 countries that we're already present in to 26 now uh, globally, and they're they're utilizing us to to be able to return to work uh, safely, 
securely and also knowingly, meaning um, how can we track uh, when people are wanting to come back, how we can we then see if they're actually coming back, what their emotion is around that, and, and really giving those data points to, to be able to do that in, in the best way possible. So we're seeing there's a clear return to work. I think everyone uh, from an emotional point of view has had enough of being at home all the time. I, I think now uh, pre-COVID, everyone would have signed off. Yes, definitely. Let, let me work from home. Uh, thank you very much. Now it's definitely the other way around, although it will be a hybrid. And, and it's, to be honest, was always going that way. And the, so we started uh, the company six years ago and slowly but surely, and then definitely in the last couple of years, we, we've seen it accelerating with, with in-between solutions, like, like, of course, WeWork, but also like Spaces, uh, uh, Regis, but also coffee shops and hotels uh, coming into this space and offering, offering in-between. And what we're seeing and the feedback from now from our customers is we believe uh, that the office, uh, our people still want to be in the office, being both uh, uh, employees from corporates that we service uh, as customers, but also landlords. Um, so that's definitely continuing to happen. But we do see and expect uh, and hear uh, that there will be more fragmentation. For example, in, in, in Dublin, that there won't be one big HQ of, of, of 20, 30,000 square meters um, surface, but that there, there will be uh, one main, maybe 15, and there'll be four different hubs of 5,000 uh, uh, so, so people uh, can be have it more accessible and but still find that fragment, uh, yeah, fragmentation but connection together in the right setup. So that's definitely where we see uh, the, the next steps heading. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I, I'm I'm interested in the trends that we're starting to see emerge, but we don't know at this point, you know, if they're going to be long-term trends or really how they're going to embed into the market. But before we finish up today, um, you know, really taking things from where we are today, we know that these types of technologies, um, there are so many benefits for commercial landlords. Um, however, you know, what we see across prop tech startups is that, you know, they're tapping in when you're offering something new, then you're looking to you're looking to um, access resources that were never used for this before. So say for building owners and operators, how uh, how can they justify the investment in your in this service now um, with the budgets that they have? Because this is something that they hadn't previously accessed before. Yeah, it's it's really it's not really. Uh, we actually come at it from a different point of view, which is the conversations we were having pre-COVID. We were already getting a lot of uh, landlords, organisations wanting to understand and know about our product. And all that's happened now is we we've, we've become to the top of the agenda. And if you look at in terms of a cost, if you look at it against what real estate cost is, it's absolutely it's an absolute fraction of that cost. But more importantly. You but know, you're talking. Uh, sorry, just just to clarify there, because I you I, I understand what you're saying. It's a fraction of the cost, but we're we're at the stage now where we really need to quantify these things. So mm -hmm. you know, in terms of budgets, you know, we we know what a management per square foot for commercial buildings might be. So you know, when we're talking about a fraction of the cost, where is it in relation to standard management of of um, operations and, and for buildings? Well, the way the way we try and calculate is it's different for the UK and Ireland. The way we look at it is, first of all, we look at it as a cost per square foot, because that's how uh, lots of our landlords and also organisations will then look to then structure that. We then structure the actual contract. So it's uh, three years. 
with where the client pays one year in advance in terms of the actual cost. But at the back end, we're helping them a retain those clients for a longer period and a different set of uh, client classes. Uh, we talked about the fact that a lot of what uh, we're seeing in the future has to be underpinned by technology. The fact that you're going to be potentially working from several different locations uh, as well as from home, technology needs to underpin all of that. But then at the same time, being able to see the data to show you as an organization or as a landlord exactly what works and what doesn't. And that's where we're seeing the value. Very good. Ian, you've chosen a good head of sales for UK and Ireland there. Definitely, definitely. And, and, and thanks. Thanks. I, I totally agree. Uh, okay, we need to wrap things up now. Um, thank you both so much for being with me today. That was Ian Thompson, co-founder, and Ikena Nueke, head of sales for Ireland and the UK of OfficeApp. That's it from us today. Thank you for listening to Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or indeed email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Also, my thanks as always to Peter Rice on Sound and show producer Katie Tallon of Hear Me Roar Media. We're back at the same time next week from myself, Carol Tallon, and all the team here. Stay safe.